We're in week three of a series called Anthropology, where we're talking about the difference between men and women. And I, I think, yes, look at this. Can you read this? Somebody just sent me this from our Riverdale campus right before the service. So, so thank you to Nick, who was able to figure out how to get this on the screen. Uh, we posted this week's sermon on Facebook. And look at what Zuckerberg did to us. Look at what it says. It says, join us for week three of our series, Anthropology. This week's discussion is on manhood and how the Bible defines our roles as men that honor Jesus. That's too sensitive. That's crazy to me. This video may show violent or graphic content. So, yeah, seriously, it's like what you're going to hear right now. So I apologize if you need to cover your kids' ears, parents, that we're going to talk about what Jesus said about manhood. Guys, we live in a crazy culture. I can't believe we just got canceled on Facebook to talk about today's topic on what Jesus was like as a man. That's crazy. It makes me want to do it more. It makes me want to like extend, yeah. <laughs> hey, no, 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 don't egg people on. <laughs> but it did make me, I have to throw this in. Isaiah chapter five, write it down if you want to look at it later. It says this, this, this is a prophecy 800 years before Jesus came. It says this, what sorrow for those who drag their sins behind them with ropes made of lies, who drag wickedness behind them like a cart. They even mock God and say, hurry up and do something. This is actually what happened when Jesus went to the cross. This was Isaiah 5, verse 19 is what was, it was, what was prophesied when the soldiers were mocking Jesus. They even mock God and say, hurry up and do something. We want to see what you can do. Let the Holy One of Israel carry out his plan for we want to know what it is. But verse 20 is what I wanted to get to. What sorrow for those who say that evil is good and good is evil. That dark is light and light is dark. That bitter is sweet and sweet is bitter. I'm going to read that again because maybe it's poetry, so you might be like, okay, I need that a second time. But it's, it's talking about deceit and manipulation and lies, and our culture is full of it. It's full of it. And, and here's what the prophet Isaiah said about it. What sorrow for those who say that evil is good and good is evil. I mean, that's what we're talking about here. We're not trying to, we're not trying to like, we're not calling names to anybody. We're not, there's none of that going on. We're, we have the heart of Jesus toward all these topics. But sometimes when you talk about God's word, it's like God's the only one that can't have an opinion. Everyone else can have an opinion, but when God has an opinion, it's graphic violence. That's crazy to me, guys. I mean, I hope you see by the time I'm done with the message, it's not graphic. It's not violent. We're calling people to serve and to love and to sacrifice. This is what Jesus did. But people are calling light dark and dark light. They're calling bittersweet and sweet bitter. And this is, this is why when we thought about doing this series on anthropology a few, a couple months ago. I, I came to John Bellis and I said, John, he was the first guy I asked. I'm like, is it crazy? Should we do this? Or is this just, he's like, no, we need to do it. Let's do this series. 
And I thought, but, but people, I don't want people to get the wrong idea. I don't, you know, I don't know if we're going to get blocked. And sure enough, we got blocked. Guys, let's not be afraid to elevate God's word. Let's do it with love. Let's do it with compassion. Let's do it with grace. But let's let God have an opinion. Sin, the way we define it in the pursuit, sin is trusting and acting on your own opinions and feelings rather than trusting and acting on God's truth. That's what sin is. Sin is trusting and acting on your own opinions and feelings instead of God's truth. So what we as people of the book, people who follow God's word, what we, as people of the book, what we do is we say, I want to know what God has to say about it, not just what the influencers have to say about it, not just what the culture has to say about it. I want to know what God has to say about it, and that's what we've been doing in this series. And it's not graphic, and it's not violent, it's just biblical. And so in week one, we talked about what's the difference between man and woman. There is a difference between man and woman. If you missed it in week one, we called in the school nurse and she brought pictures and <laughs> we didn't do that. You're like, oh, dang it, I missed it. Um, no, we didn't, we're not talking about biological differences. Just simply the fact that the Bible says that God created men and women equal. We're equal in value, in honor, in dignity. Men and women are equal, but men and women are different and that's a good thing. And no more of this blurring the lines between manhood and womanhood, like we're all the same. We're not all the same. Thank the Lord that I married woman. <laughs> I just thank the Lord every day that I married a woman, and she's a woman. And though she's strong, she's a Proverbs 31 woman, she's strong. We actually debated who carried who across the threshold on our wedding night. <laughs> I won. I carried her across, but she, she almost won. And um, she's strong, but she is a woman. And that's a good thing. Women. God, God made you to be a woman, and that's a good thing. Seek God's design in here, not just in what the culture says. And it doesn't look the same for everyone. It doesn't look the same for every couple in every household. But there is a difference, and it's more than just biological. Men, and then men, we're talking today about biblical manhood. Men. God made you a man on purpose, and it's time for you to step up and be a man like Jesus was. And that's what we're talking about today when we talk about biblical manhood. So if I, if I offend someone with my words, I apologize. But if I offend someone today with God's word, you're going to have to take that up with him, okay? I'm not going to fight his battles for him. You can take it up with him. Let's define biblical manhood. Biblical manhood is the divine calling to take primary responsibility for protection Provision and servant leadership. That's my working definition for biblical manhood. I think it's a good one. I think it's biblical. I think you'd find that all over scripture. It's a calling, men. It's a calling. It's a responsibility. It's not a privilege. It's a responsibility. And it's given to you by God to, yes, take primary responsibility. That doesn't mean that women can take no responsibility in the home. That doesn't mean young women don't take responsibility. Everyone has to take ownership for their own stuff. But men, and I, and I, I hope I do tick some people off today. Because Here's why. Can you see I'm a little fired up? I apologize. The, the reason is because want, we want you to go home and talk about it. We want you to go home and talk about it. 
So I hope I stir something up. I know if my daughter was sitting here, my 20-year-old, she'd be stirred up. And we've been talking about this kind of stuff for, for years with both of our kids. 20-year-old daughter, 18-year-old son. And I just want to make sure that they're always wrestling with what God has to say, not just with what culture has to say. That's it. So it's okay if, if something like this is up there and you're like, I don't know. Young women especially, I want you to know it's okay. I get it. Young woman came up after the first service and she was almost apologetic that she had a question. I'm like, no, do it. God's not afraid of your questions. I'm not afraid of your questions. I've heard it all from my own daughter. She, my daughter, when she was in high school, was reading, was reading Ephesians. She reads God, God's word for herself. So does my son. That's a good thing. Young people, read God's word for yourself. Don't just come here and hear a preacher read it. Don't just leave it to your parents to read it. Read God's word for yourself. Kenzie was doing that in high school. And she comes run, running upstairs, upstairs in the kitchen. She's like, Mom, Dad, look what I just read. It was in Ephesians. It said... It said, wives, submit to your husbands because the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. She's like, did you know that that was in there? <laughs> we, now, we both went to seminary, but no, we never heard that. Never had any idea. And we're like, well, yeah, we know it's in there. She's like, well, that's not right, right? And, and I stepped away real quick from her just in case. I said, well, Ken's, be like, I like, be careful when you're reading God's word and, and it goes against your opinion. Here's my opinion, and you gotta be, be mindful that your opinion is shaped by all this culture and everything, your friends and the stuff you listen to and you watch on TV, like that's what's shaping you, right? So now you have to be self-aware enough to know that my opinions are shaped by culture, you know, you know, Thousands of years after this was written, it's shaped by culture instead of by God. So when you have an opinion and it seems to contradict God's opinion, don't be a moron and think that God's the one who's wrong. If, if I could just say that. Like, that happens to all of us. It still even happens to me. Sometimes I wrestle with stuff in here. But man, our fundamental approach to Scripture should be, I don't get this. I really don't get this. God, help me to understand it. That should be our fundamental approach. I don't get this. This doesn't ring true to me, but I might be the one who's wrong. By the way, that's really good in marriage, too. That's a great approach just in general to take. Like, not, I'm the smartest one in the room, and I've got it all figured out. You must be the one who's got it wrong. No, the approach that God wants us to take is, teach me. You teach me. Maybe I've got it wrong. So we had a really interesting conversation that day in the kitchen, and we've had many conversations since then as Kenzie has tried to wrap her mind around this topic in this whole series. So if you're here today and that, that's you, just know that you're not alone, and it's okay. I hope that you question. I hope you go home and talk with your parents about this. Roll up your sleeves, but everybody should say, what does God's word say? This is what I want to submit to. What does God's word say? I believe God's word says that biblical manhood is the divine calling to take primary responsibility for protection, provision, and servant leadership. So today we're gonna to take a look at five marks of mature masculinity, and we're almost out of time. I blame the worship team for that, but we've got, <laughs> if the worship stunk, we would have gotten to the sermon a lot better, a lot quicker. But five marks of mature masculinity. Here's the first one. Mature masculinity doesn't initiate every action, you know, we're talking about leadership, spiritual leadership in the home. 
It doesn't initiate every action, but it feels the responsibility to provide a general pattern of initiative. Some of you have to really wrestle with that idea. In my home, and when Kenzie asked this question, the reason she was so confused is because Tracy is definitely in charge of the household. No question about it. That's how, that's, we agreed that that's how it was going to be before we even had kids. And boy, does it work great that way. She's an awesome mom. She's an awesome counselor for the kids. For me, she's, in, she's, just as in, she's a Proverbs 31 woman. If you saw last week's message, that's my, that's my wife to a T. I'm so, so grateful for her. So it was hard for Kenzie to wrap her mind around the idea that I was a spiritual leader of the home. But Tracy said, no, he's, he is my spiritual leader. That's what God's word says. And so she had to start to understand, well, what does this even mean then? Maybe it doesn't mean what I think it means. And we've been, we've been talking about this for years, and it's been awesome to see how God, because Kenzie is, has a soft heart toward God and his word, so Kenzie is, is on her way, as we all are. She's on her way to understanding what this means in the absence of an actual guy in her life that would embody it, but I want her to look for a guy who is a mature man, who doesn't have to initiate every action, but I want him to feel the responsibility to provide a general pattern of initiative. I don't want him to be a wuss. <laughs> Just be honest with you. I don't want him to be passive. Man, God doesn't want you to be passive. God wants you to step up. He doesn't want you to just play video games your whole life. He's got something more in mind for you. Doesn't mean you have to stop playing video games. But he's got so much more envisioned for you, man. Jesus is the model for this. John chapter 6, Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him and turning to Philip, one of his disciples. He asked, what can, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? There were thousands of people there. And it's interesting because John tells us that he was testing Philip because Jesus already knew what he was going to do. But what a good example of a, of a guy, Jesus, a leader, who didn't have to do everything himself. He was an empowering person. In fact, he only walked with the disciples for three years. Then he went to the cross. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead. And he said, now it's your turn. Jesus said, I've got to go. They begged him to stay. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. You have to grow up and you have to lead. And then Jesus left and empowered them to lead the church. And that is exactly what they did. Because Jesus was a man, and his disciples were men too. Mark number two. Mark number two. And I'm, I've lost control. Mark number two. Nick, you might have to advance that for me. Mature masculinity does, does not assume the authority of Christ over others, but it advocates for it. Jesus is the real authority, all authority is derived. Your authority, men, is not your authority. It's Christ's authority. It's derived from Jesus himself. And so that means your authority should not be to get people to bow down to you. It should be to get people to bow down to Jesus. You should advocate for Christ's authority in the life of everyone in your world, especially your kids. This is what Tracy and I have tried to do with our kids. We've tried to point them to Jesus and to submit to Jesus and his authority in their life. And that's exactly what a mature man should do. Let's go to this next scripture. And Nick, it's all you now, because I do not have control up here anymore. So Ephesians 1, it says about Jesus, it says, Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader 
or anything else, that's a good one to remember right now in the last year with all the craziness in politics. Jesus is far above Trump. He's far above Biden. He's far above Putin. He's far above Kim Jong-un, whichever one we're on there. He's far above any ruler or power or leader or anything else. He's far above the leadership structure he set up in the church. He's far above Pastor John here. He's far above the men in their homes who are trying to be godly leaders in their homes. Jesus is far above all that. Not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made Christ head over all things. So men, you are called to be leaders, but under the authority of Jesus. And you should advocate for his authority, not for yours. Number three, mark number three of a mature man. Mature masculinity grows out of love, not out of self-assertion. This is, I think, where it's gone wrong in the church or in churches in the past is these kind of patriarchal churches that miss the point that authority is not about asserting yourself. Authority is about love. I love that doesn't make sense in our world, but this is, this, this is why I'm so ticked off that Zuckerberg blocked us because he needs to hear this. Every person needs to hear this. Real authority comes from love, and it, comes, it is motivated by love. It comes out of a heart of love. Philippians chapter 2, these next few verses we're going to be pulling from Philippians 2. Philippians 2, verses 3 and 4, it says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look, don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. That's not hate speech. This is what Jesus embodied. And this is what mature leaders do as well. It's motivated by love. Mark number four, maturity, mature masculinity expresses itself not in the demand to be served, but in the strength to serve others. Think about how upside down that is compared to our world. Our world says, the higher I climb on the corporate ladder, the more people will serve me beneath me in the organization. That's not how God's organization works. In God's kingdom, it's flipped upside down that the highest, the highest people are at the bottom serving everyone else in the organization, in this case, in the church. And that's just what Jesus did. It's, still cra- it's crazy to me that Jesus, the, before he went to the cross to die, he had his last supper with his disciples and he washed, I mean, he humbled himself and he washed their feet. And what's the, the most shocking part of that is he, that he washed the feet of Judas. And he knew Judas was just hours from then going to de- betray him unto death. And yet he washed Judas's feet. What does that take? That takes security in yourself. That takes a man who knows who he is. That takes a man who is not defined by someone else or someone's reaction to him. That takes a man that doesn't need to assert himself for his own ego or pride. That takes a man who knows who he is. Strength, true strength is is shown in service. And this is what Jesus did. Back to Philippians chapter two, verse five. It says, you must have that same attitude that Christ had. Though he was God, he didn't think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, 
He gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. This is what Jesus did for us because he was a servant. And it leads to the last mark. Mature masculinity recognizes that the call to leadership is a call to sacrifice. Mature masculinity always ends up on the altar of sacrifice. It did for Jesus. Jesus was the most manly man to ever walk the face of the earth, but it's not what our culture would say a real man is. It's not even what a lot of Christian cultures would say. It's it's so different when you just look, when you just take God at his word and, and look at his example in scripture and here was a man who was so humble and, and so simple about how he approached everyone in his world. And he went to the cross and he died on the cross. He didn't have to. He chose to because that's what leaders do. Leaders sacrifice. Leadership is not about demanding your rights Leadership is not about elevating yourself over everyone that you're trying to make look so puny. Leadership is about crawling on the altar and giving up your life first. This is what Jesus did, and this is what we're called to do. Men, young men, boys, you are called to lead like Jesus. It's what the Bible says. You're called to lead like Jesus. Jesus wasn't a wuss. Don't be a wuss. Let's look at this one last scripture, Philippians chapter two. It says, verse seven and eight, when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. That is a real man. Now maybe it is violent. Maybe it is graphic. But not the way Facebook is saying It's not going to hurt anyone that the leader is trying to lead. It might hurt the leader. It might might cost the leader his life. That That is true leadership. That's why I love what John Piper says in his book, What's the Difference? If you want some follow up reading on this, I encourage you to pick that one up. It's over 20 years old, but it's still a great read. Masculinity is a call to risk getting egg on our faces, to pray as we've never prayed before, to be constantly in the word, and to be ready to lay down our lives the way Christ did, if that's necessary. This is what God calls us to. This is what Jesus modeled for us. Thank you, Jesus, for modeling that for us. Thank you for being that kind of a leader. He is the boss of us, but he didn't even act like it. He is the supreme authority, yet he never held it over anyone's heads. He just served and he sacrificed. And men, this is what we're called to. Let's step up and be men. And the world will be watching. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that you would help every man in here, every grandpa, every father, every young man, every boy, to let your word speak into their lives the way it should be. God, I pray that we would find light in your word and God, that we would reject the darkness that our culture is peddling. And Lord, I pray that you'd give us the courage to do it. Man, this this thing on Facebook today just really is a reminder. I think it's gonna get worse before it gets better. And I pray that your people would step up 
And I pray especially this morning that your men would step up. And God, may we not do it in a, in a spirit of Judas or maybe we not do it in, a, in just a prideful, hateful spirit. God, may we do it in the spirit of Jesus. Jesus was persecuted. Jesus was maligned. Jesus was misunderstood. Jesus was taken out of context. Jesus was canceled. Jesus was crucified. And God, may we be willing to follow in his footsteps. And we'll leave the rest up to you. We submit ourselves to your way. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.